Haribo. So, um, don't know what you're going to think about this. I was going to talk about alcohol, drugs, and yoga. Any interest? Or no? You want to move on to Father's Day? <laughs> Something a bit more light and fluffy. <laughs> well, let me first say that what I speak about is seriously based on personal experience, not from a platform of feeling better or superior in any way, but having been there and done that. There is this misunderstanding and this kind of like, it's really unfortunate that people take the opportunity in yoga to maximize their benefit and the happiness they can derive. And they do that by treating it in a very kind of light way. And it's often because they don't know any different. There are not many actual yoga teachers out there. That's just a fact. In many instances, yoga is treated like a gymnastic exercise to develop a very healthy, but it's not just healthy, people want a sexy body. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, don't you know that this is not going to last? Youthful beauty is extremely fleeting. You will spend the majority of your life in this body, not in a state of youthfulness. That is a reality. And fantasizing about it and wishing for it, and by artificial means trying to achieve it, you are simply creating a very dim future for yourself, a place of much unhappiness, because you cannot fight against the stringent laws of material nature. But we do it, why? That one and the whole thing with alcohol and drugs, why? Why do we do it? 
We're fundamentally looking for happiness. And unfortunately, we're looking for happiness in a place where it does not actually exist. I mean, it's really astonishing, particularly with the alcohol thing. And again, I'm speaking from experience. <coughs> chemically, chemically, and biologically, the influence that it has on you, your mind in particular, is that it is a depressant. If you drink, and you drink enough, you are guaranteed of being depressed. It doesn't go anywhere else. It's like you hit your hand with a hammer and you go, oh, wow, that really hurts. Let me do it again and see what happens. <laughs> no, it only has one, one result, and that's pain and suffering. But what it does is it provides some immediate possibility of, what do they say about drinking? Somebody that's really drinking heavily, usually what are they trying to do? Drown, Drown their sorrows. <laughs> and that's really what's going on. Whether a person is taking any form of intoxication, it is for the purpose of drowning my sorrows. People say this. But if you try to talk about it, everybody gets horribly upset. You know? <laughs> like it's my fault or something. <laughs> it's not my fault. This is just the reality of things. Now, the yoga process, the foundation of yoga, is this realization that I, I, me, I am not this body I am currently occupying. <sighs> Thank God for that one. <laughs> I'm not. Nor am I the mind. Nor do I have to become enslaved by my mind and my desires, the desires which arise from the body and from the mind. I don't have to. You are an incredibly glorious spiritual being. Your worth is immeasurable. Your worth is immeasurable. You are so deeply loved. But we shut ourselves off from this and becoming completely absorbed in the idea that the body is me, I start trying to pin my worth, my value, my experience, my opportunity for happiness and for love to this body and to the mind. That, this is like a huge mistake. Our problem is, we don't hear the message of actual truth very often. Everybody in the society, in the world, are so deeply involved in spreading lies. 
lies connected with so-called materialistic, they call it civilization, but it's actually quite uncivil. It's actually not very compassionate, not very loving. It's quite exploitative. And we get pushed into this realm. We get told us we, we have this really nice um, weekly thing we're doing in the, in the prisons, with, in the maximum security prison, where we're um, doing these meditation classes. And the, and the people are just like, the people that are coming are just like blowing out. They feel such unimaginable relief to hear these truths and to contemplate on them and to engage in this meditation process. And there's this one guy that talked to me, he's a really heavy guy. I mean, like really, he's been through some major stuff. A lot of the people in there, they've grown up in very dysfunctional families. They've been exposed to violence on the receiving end and also dealing it out from a very early age. And it's become very ingrained. And he, he had this realization. He said, my whole life, everybody's been defining who I am. They've been telling me who I am. And I've been trying to live up to everybody else's definitions and expectations. And I've discovered it's not true. This is not who I actually am. And it's just like, wow, when I hear that kind of stuff, I feel so incredibly happy. So what we have Today, you know, in, in the yoga community and what people perceive to be yoga, you have this idea that by engaging in this process of physical exercise and breath control and things, what you're going to do is give yourself a leg up. It's like putting a magnifying glass on everything. So now you can really suck it up. You can take in this world and all it has to offer, and you are therefore going to become more happy. And that is just like, that has nothing to do with yoga. In fact, yoga is just the opposite. In the yoga process, people are taught to live a life of temperance, where everything you live in a very measured and a tempered way. You don't try so hard to suck happiness out of this world when it doesn't really exist there. You can stimulate your senses, and this is one of the problems with taking other forms of intoxicants, um, chemical toxicants, what it does is it hyper, hyper stimulates the brain. It hyper stimulates the body so that you have this altered perception of things. Chemically, it also sets off all of these, this endorphin rush in the brain, which you equate with happiness. But actually, it is not 
actual happiness. Because as soon as you, I don't know if people here, I'm taking it, people, I mean, one of the biggest bummers for me when I used to take heavy hallucinogenics was when you're coming off them, it's like so depressing. It's like this huge depression and you've got to do something to kind of, you know, keep yourself up and going around because it's like you had such an incredible time. Now it was all, it's all coming down. And so you think, oh, if I could just stay in that state. The problem is this. Even if you could stay in that state, you would not be perpetually happy. What's happening is you take chemicals, you put them into your body, and it causes a reaction in your brain, which your mind perceives to be really different. And it's like exciting, and it's like a rush, and it's like, wow. But even if you could stay in that state, you would become extremely unhappy. Why? Because it has nothing to do with you. All you're doing is distorting your mind, distorting your body and what it's going through. But you, the spiritual being within, you are untouched. This yoga process is a process of actual awakening of your true spiritual identity to discover who you actually are and to experience that state of knowing, first, I am eternal. When a person has this spiritual awakening, Instantly, all fear, all fear and anxiety evaporates. This fear of death, of temporariness, of injury, all of these things come from associating intimately with my body. If you are able to practice this form of meditation that we do, you will come to this experience. You will have this experience. It will happen like the, the dawning of the day as the sun approaches the horizon. There is a dim reflection in the sky. You can make out the horizon. And as it becomes a little bit lighter, you can see your own silhouette. The darkness begins to dissipate. And as the sun approaches the horizon even more, now there becomes light everywhere. And eventually the sun itself rises above the horizon and you see the glory of this magnificent object. This is used, this example is repeatedly used in the Vedas to talk about what the experience of self-realization and of God-realization is like. But if you want to have this awakening, and don't think you have to be special, you don't have to have anything going for you. You can be the lowest 
person. You can be just unworthy and unaccomplished. You can be fallen or sinful or anything. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Every single one of you can come to the platform of a full spiritual experience and realization. What becomes really hard, one of the things really blocking us, our mind. Our mind is like this beast. <laughs> it is an out-of-control beast. In uh, Bhagavad Gita, it is likened, God, Krishna, Lord Krishna says, that for one whose mind is unbridled, the mind is your worst enemy. And that just is like, what? I mean, we take so much shelter in our mind. We believe everything that goes on in our mind. Our mind is like some holy object. That if something appears in there, we think we have to do it, or this is desirable, or this is true. But it, we can be completely illusioned. And not only that, we can be being misled big time. So we often talk about mindfulness. Mindfulness means not just going with your mind, not just surrendering. If you feel if your mind is overwhelmed with anger, you don't have to express it. In fact, it's really bad for you and it's bad for everybody else to express it. Take a break. Do some deep breathing. Go chant some transcendental sounds. If, you, if you're too angry to even do it, just if it's recorded on your phone, just put it on and listen to it. <laughs> Step back and make decisions about what you are going to do with your life based on what is in your, your best interest. This glorious, amazing spiritual being who deserves to exist in a state of unlimited blissfulness and love. That is your heritage. That is my heritage. It is part of our eternal nature. We have simply forgotten. Alcohol and drugs are really really bad news because they strengthen the mind. They increase the mind's control over you. You become weak and helpless and unable to restrain it, to turn away from it. It's telling you, no, do this, do this, do this. No, I'm not going to do this, do this. Okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. <laughs> I become enslaved by my mind. I'm just like fully believing in it and everything it produces, everything that goes on. This is an incredible thing, but actually it is a really important part 
of the yoga process. Now, it doesn't matter where you start from. We never start from a good place. There are some exceptions, extraordinary people that from an early age, they're just like, my God, where did that person come from? Some residual effect, some carryover from a previous life where they're able to part. But for most of us, we don't just naturally and easily do these things. We have to learn. We have to learn. So association with people who are on this path. In Sanskrit, this is called sadhu sangha. The association with people that are on this spiritual path. Make it so we feel that there is hope. We hear the truth and we go, yeah, that touches me. I'm, I'm buying into that. As soon as I get up and leave, I'm probably going to lose the plot again, but that's okay. We need to continuously hear and we need to continuously practice. And when we do this, this transformation comes. So you will see that in the yoga process, in, in Patanjali's um, Yoga Sutra, he speaks of Yama and Niyama. Actually, the system existed way before Patanjali. In the Bhagavad Purana, there is very deep knowledge on this Ashtanga Yoga process. And Yama and Niyama have to do with learning restraint and exercising control to become temperate. There will be good things that happen in your life and you will feel some happiness. Don't jump up and down and scream and go wild <laughs> because this will also pass. There's a beginning to it and there will be an end. This is not the whole story. This is a little event in life. Similarly, there will be unhappiness. When unhappiness and sorrow or suffering comes, suck it up. <laughs> and get on with things. This is part of the reality of living within this world. And when I learn restraint, when I begin to do things that are going to help me grow spiritually, that lead me towards a growing appreciation of my true and eternal spiritual nature, I must also do other things. It's like when you light a fire. You've got the kindling wood and you've got a match and you get a little fire going. And then what do you do? You fan it and then you feed it in the beginning with small pieces of wood. And then as the fire gets bigger, you're putting on bigger pieces. What don't you do? You don't pour water on it. Because if you pour water on it, it's either going to, you're going to lose most of it, if not put the whole thing out, and then you've got to start again. And so the guidelines for living a more spiritual and successful and happy life will involve doing things that fan this fire that is beginning to manifest in your heart.
and to try as best you can to refrain from pouring water on it. Eventually, it will become a very large fire and will not be disturbed by wind. It will not be disturbed by a bit of water. It will simply turn the water to steam. So these activities that, you know, are foundational to the spiritual process help us to become free from being enslaved by our mind. You know, this word enslaved is, is actually the reality. You know, when you see a depraved murderer, a rapist, somebody that is torturing others and feeling pleasure, when a person suffers deep depression, there can be, of course, in relation to depression, there can be physical and mental things that um, contribute. But ultimately, when the mind, when the mind is taking over, we will become victimized. We, the spiritual being residing within the body. And this process of yoga is a process by which a person can gain control over their life, can begin to experience a profound, in the beginning, it, it's like slow. It's like, you know, you see the, the, the news clips of the tsunami that hit Thailand. When was that? 2000 something. And, and people were standing on the shore looking at it. And it's kind of like, no big deal. It's only about this big. Only, a, you know, a little bit of water. And then it comes in land. It comes in land. Oh my God, it's not stopping. It's not stopping. And now it's getting deeper. It wasn't like it was a huge wave. It came with this force. And your spiritual life is also going to be or can be like this. In the beginning, it's maybe it doesn't seem to be so big and so powerful and so strong. I feel weak. I feel unable. I feel unqualified in many ways. It's okay. It's not up to you. This spiritual sound that we use in our meditation is so powerful that if you can regularly immerse yourself in this spiritual sound, it will wash over you and wash away increasingly the layers of material covering and your true spiritual nature will begin to shine forth. You will begin to experience a form of happiness that cannot compare to anything in this world. There is such safety. There is such... It is, it is your shelter. Do not take shelter in your mind. Do not feed your mind. Okay? Any questions? Is this relatable? Huh? Do we feel like we've got a chance?
sometimes, you know, sometimes I, I get really sad that somebody will say, well, you know, it's kind of like all right for you. You've already been doing this for so many years and everything, but I, I'm never going to be like that. No, that's untrue. It's absolutely untrue. We all come from exactly the same place. All of us. But this practice is so powerful and it is transformative. Okay? So we will chant a little, if that's okay. I actually had a whole bunch of beautiful verses I was going to read, um, but we kind of ran out of time. Maybe um, I might post the talk, and if I post the talk, I'll put a bunch of verses there also so you can. Uh, read and contemplate upon them.
Krishna Krishna.